Good morning, Village Church East. So good to see you. This is, this is like uh, an anniversary for us because if you were here for our grand opening, it was really cool, which was really cool last week. But this actually marks our first month here at Village Church East at this campus in Carroll Stream. So for us, it's a bit of an anniversary, and we're excited that you're here. Um, and I just want to say, before I start anything, thank you to our MDs. Our MDs uh, have, that's ministry directors, uh, not medical doctors. We don't need them every single Sunday, but once in a while when Tony drops something on their toes. Uh, but our ministry directors have functioned together as a well-oiled machine so that we are able to, to do this every single Sunday, and they have functioned as a well-oiled machine in record time. So uh, if you don't know our MDs, you should get to know these guys. Uh, Catalina Diaz, she works with our kids, which are right on the other side of that wall. And if you don't hear them right now, it's because she's doing a great job with them. She has them right there in the palm of her hand. Uh, and she helps us with our nursery, which is on the other side of the kitchen. And if you, uh, if you don't know it, Tony is our facilities guy. He's the guy that makes sure that everything gets in the right place at the right time and no screws get lost along the way, just loose screws. And then uh, we also have... Uh, Kathy uh, in the back, Kathy Grage, and she is our communications director, and she's in charge of all these slides and everything that you get on the Village Church uh, Connect desk in the back, and she makes sure that we communicate with you really, really well, uh, and we are uh, amazed and pleased uh, to have her. And then we also have Bo Pearson, who is right there. Hi, Bo. And Bo is our production coordinator, and she's in charge of all the teams that make all of this work. And so when uh, all, of, all of that work in here, as far as the AV and the sound and the, and the music and all of that, she makes sure it all functions uh, correctly. So I just want to say that uh, I am amazed and privileged that I get to work with these wonderful folks. Uh, it's, been, it's been a little longer than a month that we've been working together, but it's a month that we've been putting our, our talents right to where they need to go. And uh, we, we meet every single week. We, we do a lot of work behind the scenes so that you can, so you can enjoy a Sunday morning service and uh, all the work that goes on is because of these guys, and they are fantastic. So thank you, MDs, for all of your hard work. I'm greatly, greatly appreciative of it. All right, question of the day. Have you ever had to risk something? Now, this is more than just driving in the car with Mark Corwin, all right? This is really <laughs> risking, not risking your life, really risking something. I'm talking about like the risk of, of having... Uh, a doctor come to you and say, listen, if, you, if we don't have your wife get an abortion right now, if you don't get an abortion right now, you are, we are not guaranteeing that your child will be healthy or that you will make it through the birth process. Or risk something like um, uh, your dad or your mom has a severe cancer that uh, we, we want to uh, treat, but we, we can't do it. And so we want to try this new drug and we're not sure how it's going to work, but uh, this might be your only hope and we want you to risk with us because it could be your, your only chance. Or n- hearing from the Lord speak to you and say, this relationship that you're in is not healthy. It's not doing you any good. It's not bringing glory to the Lord. And so I want you to dump it. And you listening to the Holy Spirit and saying, I'm going to risk dumping this relationship. I'm going to risk me to do believing that I will be loved this way by somebody else in the future that God has for me. These kinds of risks uh, happen all the time. In regard to our faith, we are constantly being challenged to risk stepping out in faith. Um, it's really interesting, actually, if we were to sit here and think how many times our faith demands that we take a risk, we would be probably amazed 
to see in ourselves how many times that has already occurred in our lives. Hebrews chapter 11 is full of men and women who have taken risks in their faith for Jesus Christ. So if you're following along in your Bibles, which you should be, please turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And we are at, uh, through this faith series, we are taking different people through these, uh, through this journey and we're pulling them out of Hebrews chapter 11 and we're saying, look at how God used these folks for his kingdom. And God stretched these folks in regards to their faith. So I want you to start reading with me at uh, verse uh, 17 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham. Abraham's who we're going to be talking about today. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now, if you're not familiar with Old Testament history, Abraham is like the father of the faith kind of thing in the Old Testament history. The Jewish people look at him as a father of the Jewish faith, and we look at him as the first outstanding person that, that, um, uh, that developed a relationship with God and was stretched in his faith in some pretty significant way. Now, we had Moses and different people before him, but Abraham stands out as a man that continually through his life was asked to take these huge steps of faith, and God blessed him for it. This story, in particular, this act of faith, was in regard to his son Isaac. And the story can be found in Genesis chapter 22. Every time God reached into Abraham's life to mold him a little bit more, he asked him to take a risky step of faith. Now, some of your Bibles might actually say uh, in that passage that we read in Hebrews, um, in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, when Abraham was tempted. Tempted is a bad uh, translation for what the writer is trying to get through to us there because God doesn't tempt any person and he cannot be tempted. That is a theologically uh, accurate truth. Abraham, however, was not tempted, but he was tested. We understand the word tested a whole lot better in our lives, don't we? Especially in regards to our faith. We understand what it means to be tested, to be put out there on the ice and think to ourselves, I'm sure this ice is going to break under my feet but then have God lift us up and give us the ability to overcome. Testing is for this purpose, for the purpose of refining our character in order to bring strength. Temptation, that purpose is to get us to fail. Temptation is to get us to do the thing we shouldn't do and realize that we're a failure. God doesn't tempt us. God tests us. And when he tests us, every time it's for the purpose of refining our faith, our character, in order to build strength in us. Tempting is for the purpose of tearing down. Testing is for the purpose of building up. And if you've been in school, you know that to be true because you hate tests, right? Everybody who hates tests, yes. Who who loves tests? Sickos. Everybody hates tests, right? But if you don't take the test, you're not going to know how much you've grown. God does the same thing in our lives. And sometimes God tests our faith. We're going to call them faith tests so that, uh, in three different ways. And he, and he does that so that we can trust him a little bit more. So he'll allow something to happen in our lives. This is where we go to God. Why would you allow this to happen to me? Sometimes he allows it to happen to, in our lives. He doesn't stop something from happening. And sometimes those things happen because of our bad decisions. right? And our bad decisions come to haunt us. And we go through a test. And sometimes it's because there's, 
There's forces that are against us, and God allows us to go through a test so that we can see how much we can grow or how strong we don't know we actually are, but we actually are. God can ordain something. That means that he can actually say, this is going to happen in Craig's life right now, and and it happens for the purpose of building me up, or God can permit something, something that happens in my life, and God allows it to happen so that I can overcome and I can build character and a stronger faith through it. Tested means to test the quality, to test the quality of something through adversity or hardship. How many of you have heard this, this uh, tale that uh, this Japanese sword is, if you fold it over a number of times, it gets stronger and stronger, and like this, this really expensive, everybody wants a certain kind of Japanese sword, I think it's called a katara, everybody wants this particular sword because it's folded over, and the, 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 the guys that make this make it so strong because it keeps folding and folding and folding. That actually is not true. Did you know that? I thought this would be a great illustration, and then I found out the illustration, and it's a bad illustration. You know why? Because if you fold the steel over on a sword over and over and over again, it turns into Play-Doh. It turns, it turns into jelly. So that when you go into a sword fight, you're going yeah, to lose. Yeah. So there's only a certain amount of times that you can fold that thing over to get it to the perfect strength that it needs to be. And here is the lesson I learned from that, even though I was looking for a different lesson. This is what I learned from this. God knows how much folding I can take. I don't know how much folding I can take. I don't know. I'll just get, okay, here comes another one. Here comes another. And so many times I'm thinking to myself, I cannot take any more folding. And God says, one more fold. And he tests us again. And he does it just the right amount. Now, I hope I'm not the only person in the room that feels that way, or I'm going to feel like, like I'm, I'm way down here and you guys are like way up here, all right? So if you agree with me, just don't go to sleep, all right? If you agree with me, um, Listen to this truth. If I allow God, who is the author and giver of my faith, to fold me over just the right amount of time, I have to give an enormous amount of trust to him because he knows exactly what he's doing. But that also means I don't. I don't know how much I'm capable of. And probably you don't either, right? Has there been times in your life that you're just saying, I've hit my limit? And God folds you one more time? That is because God is the author. He's the one that gives you the faith, and he's the finisher. He's the one that perfects your faith. You need to be folded over just the right amount of time so that you can be strong, so that you can build character, so that you can walk boldly into faith tests. Because you know the author and finisher of your faith isn't finished with you yet. And he's got you right where he needs you to be. For Abraham... This test that Abraham went through was very difficult. God promised Abraham a son. God promised Abraham a son when Abraham was 100 years old. His wife was 80 years old. When God told Sarah that she would have a son, Sarah's response was she... What was Sarah's response? Come on. Yeah, she laughed. She laughed. And I don't think it was so much that she didn't believe it. I think there was, there was joy in there. There was disbelief. I think all of that was mingled in there because she was thinking to herself, how can an 80-year-old woman have a son? Which would be ridiculous. And yet this is what God promised to Abraham. I will give you a son. Sarah was 80. Abraham was 100. 
And this son, who Abraham would have, would be the conduit through which every promise of God would come. He would be the conduit through which the land would come. He would be the conduit through which the sand. Abraham was going to have children like the sand of the seashore, right? Abraham would have the promised land, which we know today as Israel. Abraham, and for the future, will be the final kingdom here on the earth. God promised all of this, and all of this had to come through one person. It had to come through Isaac. If Isaac didn't have kids, Abraham is messed up. Promise is over. How else is Abraham going to have more and more progeny, more and more kids? It has to come through Isaac because he didn't have any other sons. So when the time came to test whether Abraham believed in the promise of God, God had to test his faith to see whether his faith has shifted from God's promise, no matter what, to Isaac, the person that God promised him. God had to test Abraham's faith to see if Abraham would trust God no matter what that looked like. Can you imagine if you were promised this son and you waited a hundred years for this son? If you were promised a son, what would you, would, would, I mean, have you ever heard of helicopter moms? You know, they bubble wrap their kids, you know? When I was a kid, <laughs> when I was a kid, I left home in the morning and came home when it was night. And if I came home early, my mom would say, get out, right? Go up there and play. And we, we would do like crazy, we would build fires on the ice, and we would uh, skate around, and we would do all these crazy things, right? Canadians do, right? Yeah. <laughs> Viva la Canada. And we would do all of these things, and, and, uh, and then we'd come home, and, and my, my mom would say, okay, you're home at the end of the day. But nowadays, it's like, bubble wrap your child, send them out into the world, make sure you go to everything so they don't mess up, they can't, can't get a flu, they're going to die. You know, make sure they've got all, you know, well... If you're that kind of a mom, I hope I'm not, uh, or a dad, I hope I'm not offending you right now, but I think if this was Abraham, and he was 100, and he knows Isaac is the only hope he has, don't you think he'd bubble wrap Isaac? Don't you think he'd protect this promise, like, as if it were his only way of seeing the future? And so God says to him, he tests him, in Genesis 22.1, after these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will show you. And we as the reader are meant to read this and sit on pins and needles because we don't know what's going to happen. Will all of God's promises fall apart if Abraham sacrifices his only son, why would God tell Abraham to sacrifice the only conduit through which all of his promises to Abraham would come? And so we sit on pins and needles wondering, is Abraham going to put more stock, more trust in the promises of God or in Isaac, the person who was given to him? Listen, most Christians don't want to be tested no more than they want a test at school. Wouldn't you rather just get an A and forego the test? Most Christians don't want to be tested, but strong Christians walk boldly into test situations. They are sure, not in themselves, but in the God who is flowing the test, who is functioning, who is folding them over. Note, God did not tell Abraham the outcome. We know the outcome because we look back on Scripture and we say, God saved it. God, God didn't let this happen. But Abraham didn't know that. 
Abraham only thought he's got to sacrifice his son. It's also interesting in the passage that God says, take your son, your only son, as if that's not enough, the son whom you love and sacrifice. Do you get this? God is saying, take that bubble-wrapped promise, that thing that you've put all your hope in, and give it to me because my promise is greater than what you think is going to happen through this promise that I've given to you, through this son. What if God asked you to give up a sure thing? Abraham was sure that every promise would come through Isaac. Now God's telling him, get rid of Isaac. What if God asked you to get rid of your sure thing? I was thinking about this, and I, then I started walking through Scripture. Do you realize all the times that Jesus asked people to give up the sure thing? The disciples. Remember when he called the disciples? They all were making a living. They were fishermen for, for the most part. Some of them were in different tax collecting, different things like that. But God said to each of them, drop what you're doing and what? Follow me. And they dropped what they were doing and they followed him. That means they were at his beck and call whenever he needed them. And on their spare time, they tried to make enough income to provide for their family. Can you imagine them going back to their wives and saying, so here's the thing. Um, I, I think Jesus is the Messiah, the one that we've been promised. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna believe that so much that our income is going significantly lower. God says, drop what you're doing and follow me. How about the rich young ruler? God pointed right at that guy, didn't he? Rich young ruler comes to Jesus and said, I've followed the whole law. I'm ready to follow you too. I've done everything that you've required, uh, required in the Old Testament. And Jesus says, great, super. One thing you lack, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. That's a pretty high calling, when you say. If I was a rich young ruler, I'd say, really? I don't read that anywhere in Scripture. Can you show me Scripture and verse for that one, Jesus? But Jesus knew exactly what the one thing he wasn't willing to give up was. And he pointed at it, and the guy had to realize that was it. And it says in Scripture that he turned and he walked away very sad because he had many riches. So what if God asked you to give up your one sure thing? How about this verse? For each one of us, this verse applies to us. Mark eight thirty four. if anyone comes after me, let him, what does it say, church? Let him deny himself, let him take up his cross, and let him follow me. Have you ever had to deny yourself? I'm on a diet right now and I have to deny, because I need it, don't I? Yeah. You're going to see a totally different man up here in about two months, but I'm on a diet right now. I have to constantly deny myself things and it is not fun. It, especially if I go out with you people, you know, it's like, sweet, let's go eat. And you guys eat really, really well. Yeah. Everybody loves to eat in this church, which is great. But when I go out to eat, it's like, I can't have that, and I can't have that, and I got to deny myself. Well, listen, when you follow Jesus Christ, it's more than just denying yourself a few pastries on the table. When you follow Jesus Christ, he says, I need you to deny yourself to the point where you're willing to go to death for your, for your belief in me, for your faith in me. This is not something we tamper with. We, we just test out like, like ice. We walk out on the water. We give it all. And Jesus says, deny yourself and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will find it. Testing will expose what our faith is in. When God tests us, we, our faith is exposed. So we may not know what we fear, but when we're tested, we see what we fear. We may not know we have an idol, 
But when we're tested and that thing's taken away and we cry and scrape and whine and turn into our kids, we know what our faith was in. And when we go through a test and we overcome, isn't it amazing that we realize what our faith is in? The purpose of tests is to reveal to us what our faith is in. And our faith needs to be in God and his plan for us. We may think, well, Craig, the way to live out my faith is to play the sure thing. Always play the sure thing. Isaac was Abraham's sure thing. And God said, get rid of Isaac and believe in my promise. The way to play it safe is not playing the sure thing. The way to play it safe is doing what God says and disregarding everything else. I'll give you one of the best examples in the world. Jonah. Old Testament. Nineveh. That wicked city. Read it. That's, go to Nineveh. That wicked city. And preach to it. So, preach to the people there because I want them to come to know the Lord. And Jonah thinks, do you know why it's called a wicked city? They did nasty things in Nineveh. Ninevites, they were, ooh, they were like ISIS on steroids. They would cut heads off, put them on poles, and run them along the street for miles before you get to the main city of Nineveh. All these heads are going to obey the law or disobey the law. They would, they would, put, they would, they would do terrible things to their enemies. They were wicked inside and outside. They were idol worshipers. They didn't love God. They didn't want any of that. So God comes to Jonah and says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, that wicked city. Preach to them. And Jonah says, all right, I know what God wants me to do, but the sure thing to save my hide is to go the other direction, right? So he booked a ship to Tarshish, and he goes down, and he... And what's the first thing that happens? It gets into a storm, right? The sailors think they're going to die. So they're idol worshipers too. And so they start figuring out, trying to figure out what the problem is. Karma has come to haunt them. They're going to die. So something bad is on board. And they come up with Jonah. Jonah, tell us what you did. And Jonah said, listen, I am the problem. I'm trying to run away from God. He's obviously trying to kill me. So, uh, so you should throw me overboard. He wasn't even willing to jump. He had them throw him. So they throw him overboard in the middle of the ocean. He's floating around in the ocean, and he's he's thinking to himself, probably at that point, I'd rather die than go to these Ninevites. So God brings along a whale or a a big fish, swallows him up, and he's thinking, thank God, not thank God, but whoever, you know, thank myself. uh, I am finally going to die. But God keeps him alive for three days in the belly of a fish. How would that go? He's in the belly of fish gasping for air every single minute until he finally comes to himself and realizes God's way is the safe way. Even though it looks like it's a difficult, dangerous, challenging way, God's way is the only way for me. And so he prays and he repents from the belly of the fish because he thinks to himself, I'm going to live like for a thousand years here and I can't do that. So God makes the fish throw him up on land. He comes out. He's looking nasty. He's all bleached and just disgusting looking. And then he says, fine, I'll go to Nineveh. So he goes to Nineveh and he preaches. He does what he's supposed to do, but he's got a bad attitude the whole way through. You remember this? The end of the book, he's sitting on a hill sulking because the entire city came to salvation. The entire city believed in God. And Jonah is angry because... He knew, you can read it, it's in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, because he knew these people would repent and he'd have to call them his brothers and sisters. And he didn't want to do that. He was a racist. 
plain and simple. Jonah thought that playing the safe card was running away and protecting himself and realized that's not always the safest way to go. And I would say the same thing's true for us. You're probably not going to get swallowed by a whale, but the, the bottom line for us is if God is asking you to do something, that's always the safest road to take. It may seem like it's not. It may seem challenging. It may seem threatening. It may seem very threatening. But to do anything other than the will of God is to take your life in your own hands. Playing the safeguard is doing what God wants us to do. And so the irony is that there's no real risk at all in doing what God asks us to do. Because God has us all the way through. And he'll walk us through the journey. Testing shows our faith. It grows our faith. Uh, Every step we take grows a faith momentum. God pulls us through. Our trust grows. Faith is built up again in our lives Our faith is stronger. We grow through each test. The reason there's so many Play-Doh Christians around is because they always fail at the same test. They're given the test, they fail. Given the test, they fail. Given the test, they fail. The reason that the, the only way that we can grow in our faith is we go through a test, we give it to the Lord, we trust Him through it, and He makes us stronger through each test. Sometimes the challenge is we don't like the test. Sometimes the challenge is we really get tired of being tested. Uh, how many of you remember the original Karate Kid? Not the new one. Uh, the, the, the new one. The old one. You remember that? Uh, Mr. Miyagi. You remember Mr. Miyagi? Yeah. Everybody should have a Mr. Miyagi in their lives. So Karate Kid is Ralph Macho, right? Is it Ralph Macho? So he, uh, he gets beat up by these guys and he wants to learn karate. And so he runs into this Mr. Miyagi. Mr. Miyagi teaches him karate. Yes or no? No, he does not. What does he do? Yeah, he puts him to work at the house. He says, okay, here's what I, if I'm going to teach you karate, you've got to wax my car. So Ralph Macho goes out and he starts waxing the car and, and uh, Mr. Maggie goes, out, no, 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 wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. You remember that? Yeah, and then he goes, finally, okay, wax your car, teach me karate. No, paint my fence. So he goes over and he starts painting the fence. You remember this? Yeah. He, said, he starts putting the paint on. I said, no, no, no. Up, down, up, down. You remember that? By the end of it, he's painted his fence. He's, he's waxed his car. He's done all of it. He's built that whole thing in his backyard. You remember that? He's done all his work. And Mr. Miyagi comes out and he goes, okay, I have more work for you to do. And, and uh, Ralph Macho loses it. He says, you're getting me to do all your work and you're not teaching me any karate. And he starts yelling at this poor little uh, 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 Mr. Miyagi. And Mr. Miyagi attacks him. Do you remember this? And then... Uh, he, uh, he says, show me, wax on, wax off. And so he shows him, wax on. And he can block everything, he can block everything. It's a terrible illustration, isn't it? <laughs> but here's why it matters. Because you are going through tests every single day of your life that you don't know you're going through. God has you taking these little steps all the way through. Wax on, wax off. Paint the fence, paint the fence. He has you doing all these different things so that your faith can grow because I have news for you and you probably know this by now. If you haven't hit the biggie yet, it's soon to come. And when the biggie comes, when the big moment for your test comes, your faith test, the only way you'll be prepared is if you've practiced living out your faith. 
I look at some people in my life and see the amount of faith they live by, and I think, I'll never attain that. Do you know people like that? I wish I could be like that. I wish I could have that much faith. They didn't get there overnight. It's a process of being trained slowly, slowly, so that they can grow in their faith, because when the biggie comes, all of a sudden they block every single thing. Terrible illustration, but I bet you'll remember it when you go home. A strong faith always builds on the past. If you're going to be a strong believer, it's got to be built on what you've already experienced. Abraham left his home for a country that God would show him. Remember that? Test of his faith. Abraham saw Sodom and Gomorrah destroyed. Do you remember that? A test of his faith. Got Lot out of there, but nobody else. Abraham talked with an angel of God face to face about Isaac being born. And Abraham responded in faith. A test of his faith. This was not Abraham's first encounter with faith, and neither is it for you. You start these tests immediately when you come to know the Lord. They might seem like they get harder, and they probably do, but you're probably more fit than you think that you are. The goal of every faith test is to trust God a little bit more so that when the next biggie comes, you can trust him more than you thought you were capable of. Look at how strong Abraham was by this point in his life. You want to read a crazy verse? This is the craziest verse in Hebrews chapter 11. It's found in verse 19. Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Do you understand that? Abraham took Isaac on a three-day journey to Mount Moriah put him on the altar, and he was about to kill him, following God's not in promise of God. He actually believed if he followed God through in what God asked him to do, God would raise his son from the dead. That's an incredible amount of faith. This wasn't his first experience with faith. But we have the same, experience, we have the same opportunity Our goal is to regularly see God's hand move in our lives, to regularly acknowledge God's hand move in our lives. And the more we recognize the things that happen around us aren't random, but God's plan so that our faith can grow, the more we'll recognize our trust in God grows over time. We need to acknowledge the hand of God in our lives. The more we do, the more we grow. The more we do, the more we're willing to risk the next time for our faith. I prayed for... a. I can't, even, I can't even tell you how many things I prayed for for this church. The leadership, and, and everybody is here. Ever since we, we started this whole journey together, how many things have we prayed for? We, we've, we've made it a regular, a regular thing to, to pray. A year ago, do you recognize a year ago, none of us dreamed we would have been in this room. This wasn't even on my radar, much less your radar, a year ago. Four months ago, we had not one dime to put this together. Not, we had nothing. But in each time we crossed a barrier, God provided in outstanding ways. And each time we crossed a barrier, the point was so that our faith would grow for the next time. We are meant to be risk takers with our faith so that we can be bold walkers of our faith in life. Each of us in this room began thinking that God might be putting our faith to the test, and he has directed every step. Do you want to hear about the most recent one? Tuesday night, 
I'm doing a conference, online conference with the MDs. Not medical doctors, ministry directors, thank you. So we're sitting there, we're doing an online conference. How did it go at the grand opening? Are we ready for this Sunday? What do you need? Do you have all the resources that you need? Just general overview, right? And one of our ministry directors says, I need an AV person. I need somebody else that will jump on board with us and, and help us with AV because we have wonderful servants in the back that are already on our, our team. John, and who's running around back there now, and Albert help us with our team, but we need to give them a day off. So we needed a third person so we could start a rotation. And so the MD said, well, we, we need this. And, and so I said, well, okay, let's, let's as, as always, pray about it. Let's give it to the Lord. See what he does. I wake up the next morning to a text on my phone. And the text was lengthy, but here's a portion of what it said. Hey, Michael. Hey, Craig. I thought I would share with you that I'm seriously feeling led to serve as a part of the audio team at Village Church East. This was written by somebody that put together the entire audio system at Village Church of Bartlett. And out of the blue, the Lord speaks to his heart, and he's back there now. There's Brian. I asked him if I could tell the story, and he said I could. Brian does AV for a living, and out of the blue, Wednesday morning, not because of us, but because of God, he feels God's calls to bring him here, and he is an answer to prayer, and he didn't even know it. That's how God works. If you lack faith, ask of God who gives to all men liberally. If you lack wisdom, ask of God who gives to all men generously, and it will be given to you. We walk boldly into faith thus because he who promised is faithful. And so that leads me to the second and last point, and that is this. Be bold through faith tests. You have every reason to be bold through faith tests. Every time your faith is is tested, you have every reason to stand up and be bold through that faith test. God has you right where he needs you to be. Would you want to be anywhere else? Is it hard? Sure. Is it difficult? Sure. Might you look silly? Well, that brings us to our next story. In verse 30 of Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they'd been encircled for seven days. Do you know the story of Jericho? When you risk living by faith, you'll be misunderstood, you will be mocked, you might even be rejected. This is what happened at Jericho. Here's the story of Jericho. Israel crosses the Jordan. They're supposed to take this land, this new promised land. And when they cross the Jordan, they come to their first challenge, and that is Jericho. Jericho was an incredible city. Um, It was actually thought to be impenetrable. And these folks were not soldiers. They were slaves. Sons and daughters of slaves. Let me tell you why Jericho was largely impenetrable. Rahab lived in the walls of Jericho. That's how thick they were. Now here's a picture of what Jericho might have looked like. There's raised ground at the bottom, and that was a retaining wall. Above the retaining wall, which was about 15 feet high, you'll see another built wall on top of that. That was about 26 feet high. Between the retaining wall, the outside wall, and the inside wall, that pretty much is where Rahab lived. That's the in-between part. There's a significant space there. Then there's another wall that you see there, that second wall, and this was about 25 feet high and 46 feet thick at the base. 
The reason this city was known as an impenetrable city is because you didn't have to get over one wall, but you had to get over two, and the killing ground was in between. These Israelites were told that if they marched, get this, marched around the city for seven times, seven days, and then blew their horns and shouted, the walls would fall. So they did. Can you imagine? They didn't have to, they didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to train. They didn't have to do the bows and arrows. They didn't have to you know, do a, uh, all, all of the military training. They just had to walk. Just walk. Walk around seven times, seven days in a row. Which brings me to a question. Why does God always wait to the last minute? Why does he stretch our faith and then wait for the last minute to pull through? Isn't it irritating? Don't you just want him to do it and get it over with? I mean, can you imagine one of these guys waking up on the fifth day and thinking to himself, I I just got to tell you guys, I don't think we're going about this the right way. I, I think we should be learning how to use swords and spears and bows and arrows. We got to take this city and... Joshua tells us to walk. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm going to say I'm going to just not do it today. Who's with me? Let's play cards. (laughs) It's a bad plan, yeah. But all of a sudden they walk around seven days and lo and behold, the walls fall. So I would say this. Be bold to the end of your faith test because you never know what God is going to do. For Jericho, they had to march around it seven days. For Isaac, do you know how long Abraham had to walk with Isaac to sacrifice him? He had to go to Mount Moriah three days. Three days. Why not just the backyard? Backyards are good, right? Take him out in the backyard, get it, bada bing, bada boom, there your faith is grown. But no, he makes him walk. Can you imagine three days knowing that you've got to kill your only son? You go to bed, you wake up the next day, and you think to yourself, oh, I can't believe I've got to go through this again. And you walk with a guy that you know all your hope is in and you've got to kill him. Then you go to bed and you wake up the next day and you've got to do it all over again. These three days had to be excruciating. And so my question is, why did God make him wait three days? Why seven days around Jericho? Why does he make us wait so long before he answers our prayer, before he gets the test done? Because the goal is not to get the test done. The goal is to grow in the journey. We grow when we walk. We grow when we believe. We grow when we trust. We don't grow in the faith when, when, when the end product is shown. Sometimes it comes as easy as the next morning. Sometimes it doesn't come for weeks, months, even years. So I'd give you this passage. James 1-2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various different kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Every faith test you go through makes you more complete. Be bold, knowing that God has a purpose in your faith test. Your test has a purpose. This doesn't happen randomly. God is taking you through for a purpose. Why does God test our faith? Well, to expose our weak points, to sharpen us up, to help us be strong for the next time. 1 Peter 1.6 says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while there is a time limit. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, 
may be found to result in the praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Every test is potential. Every ask that God has for us is a test. Abraham never really knew he would give up, be, be able to give up everything for God until he was given the opportunity to do it, and neither do we. You ever think about that? If God asked me to stand in the middle of, uh, of testing and to stand up to somebody that wanted to take my life, I would like to think that I would say I would stand up for God even if I would lose my life. But the fact of the matter is, I don't know until I'm in that position, right? I don't know for sure what I would do. God puts us through these tests so that we can know where we stand with him. It's an opportunity for us to know how strong we actually can be. Here's the direct implications. Why would I keep myself a virgin until marriage? Because this is God's will for me. Nobody else may be doing it around me, but this is God's will for me. And so it may last a long time, but this is God's will for me. I may never get married, but this is God's will for me. And so I stick with what God wants me to do. Is it hard? Yeah, it's hard. Welcome to faith tests. But is it profitable? Yeah. And playing it safe, like we think safe is, like doing what everybody else does, will ruin your life in ways that you can't even imagine. Should I train my children up to follow Jesus? Yes. Yes, that's what God's will is for you. Should I be holy in my personal life? Yes, that is God's will for you. (laughs) These things we don't need to even wonder about. Should I get out of bed on Sunday (laughs) to set all this up every single week? Yeah, that's what God has for you right now. Should I tithe? Can I risk giving to the Lord what I know he, sh- he demands of me? Should I be giving to the Lord on a regular basis, even though to play it safe would be to put my money in the bank, but does God ask me to tithe on a regular basis? Yes, he does. In fact, not just tithe on a regular basis, but to give with a joyful heart. Amen. The more you give, the more you realize how joyful it is to give, and the more you give, the more God adds in return. It's an amazing thing that when you stretch, when you allow your faith to be stretched and you don't play the safe game, God provides in ways that you ha- never thought possible. Be bold know that God, knowing that God has movement that he's judging us by, that he's looking for in our life, not results. Results are up to him. God is looking for movement. Results, that's his area. With Jericho, the walls fell. Success With Abraham, Isaac lived, but Abraham didn't kill him, but it was still success. God commends our movements of faith, not the results. So the question is, not did God pull this off like I thought he would, but the question is, did I grow in my faith like I should have? So, why would God do any of this? Is he sadistic? (laughs) does he just want to play with us like little uh, lemmings and see how we do in different situations let's uh let's ask craig to do this and see how see what happens is that what god's doing or could it be that god loves craig and you too much to leave you where you are to flail in this life full of challenges 
and full of disappointments and full of pain, and he's not willing to leave you there, but he's willing to sharpen you and to fold you over just enough so that when the biggie comes, you sail through. Could that be what he's doing? We must be tested so that we can go, grow, and overcome. You like that insertion right there? Yeah, make sure you tell Michael about that. We gotta be, we, we gotta be tested so we can go, grow, and overcome. God knows exactly how much we can take. Give it to him, trust him through it, and watch what he can do with you. Wait until you see what he has for you next. Our risky faith sometimes leads us to do something crazy, like starting a church in record time and with no money. But how many of you have grown through this process? Huh? How many of you are the same person you were a year ago? If you've been a part of this journey, I mean, yeah, the grand opening was last Sunday, and yeah, it was a lot of fun, and yeah, we packed out the house, and it was cool, and it was great, but did you learn more from last Sunday, the final day, or did you learn more from the journey that we went through to get here? It's the journey. How many of you thought it was just crazy to join us, this little church in this, in this, this center where we got basketball players across the way, and we had set it up and tear it down every single, or we could go to just like the regular church and we could just have it easy and safe and one is not better than the other that's not what I'm saying but what I'm saying is sometimes when you take the hard row and you listen to the call of God there is more in it for you than you ever thought possible and you will not be the same person you were when you started the journey Less than a year later, we've grown to trust God even more because of what he's seen, we've seen him do. And the key question is, how has this faith test of starting VCE impacted not this place, but your life? Faith test. Last year, Beth and I had basically no income. We didn't know why God put us in this position. Maybe he had a sense of humor, which I firmly believe that he does. But the end process of the journey that we went through last year was a faith test. Will we trust God to do what he asks of us to do? And I, 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 had no, I had no idea what God wanted me to do. The only thing I knew I wasn't going to do is plant a church. I wasn't going to do that. I would move to anywhere else. I was even considering doing mission work, mission field. Yeah, whatever God has to do. Lord, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. But I'm not going to plant a church. And guess what I'm doing right now? Why is that? Because God has a sense of humor. The journey, though, I'm telling you what, the journey was amazing. There would be times that we didn't know how we were going to pay our bills. And uh, all of a sudden, I go to the mailbox, and there'd be a check in there from my buddy that I grew up with when I was like six. And he hears off Facebook, which is good and bad, but he hears that we're planning a church, and he, and he hears that we're, we're looking for what God wants us to do, and so he sends me some money in the mail, and that happens over, and every time it happens, I gathered the girls together in the kitchen, and we would go, look what God gave to us. We're going to be able to pay our bills this month, and we go, yeah, that's good, that's good. So sometimes we cried, and sometimes, and eventually, we did that enough times. God did that over and over and over again, and he did that enough times. It was like, I go to the mailbox, oh, here's another check. Okay, there's another out of the blue, from nowhere, and it's almost like I began expecting it. It's not that I wasn't thankful for it, but it was like God provided, and it became a, a, a process of, look what God did again. We'd bring the kids in the kitchen, and we'd say, look, God did this. Well, that has expanded to now, we have a church, 
every Sunday we gather together for that same purpose. We gather together to say, hey, look, you've had a rough life this, this week. It's been tough at your job. It's been tough in your relationships. But look at what God has done. Look at what God is doing. Look at what God can do through us. Look how God is growing us. Look how God is growing us inside and out. And we gather together every Sunday to praise him because he continues to provide, because he continues to answer prayer. And our trust grows. That's what makes a strong church. That's what makes a strong family. We're here now as a church family, starting a new church. And we get to do this right on the foundations of faith, grace, and love. I am so grateful for that. You're like my family in the kitchen. I get to stand in front of you every Sunday and brag on the incredible, overwhelming faithfulness of our great God every single Sunday. So what is God asking you to risk today? Some of you are being challenged personally to step out in faith, to serve like you never have before, to forgive like you never had before, to love like you never had before, to sacrifice like you never had before. Some of you might be challenged to begin a walk of faith for the very first time. You don't know where you are in your relationship with the Lord, and he's grabbing a hold of your heart, even in this message, and he's saying, it's time for you to start your journey of faith. Start today. Some of you might be there. Some of you might be considering a step of faith that you know you need to take, but you're scared to death of it, like salvation or, or like baptism. Some of you might need to be baptized. I don't know if all of you have been baptized or not, but that is a step in our faith journey. It's not the end product, but it's a process that helps us grow in our faith, and Jesus commands it. So some of you might need to think about that. We've got a baptism class coming up. You can find about it online. We, it, all the information will be there. Sign up, become a part of the, the upcoming baptism that we have. Some of you need to be stretched in your tithing. Some of you need to be stretched in, in the way that you give to the Lord. I don't know the way the Lord's working in your heart, but this I know. God is working in your heart. Amen. Every single person here. Because if you don't know him as your savior, it's time to give your life to him. And if you do know him as your savior, it's time for you to grow. And whatever he has for you in the future, scary as it is, challenging as it is, it is better than where you are right now. Let's pray. I'm grateful, Father, that you do challenge us in our faith I'm grateful that you don't leave us alone, but you are the author of our faith, but you are also the finisher of our faith. You take us through this faith journey and build us and grow us and help us to become people we never thought we could be. This is how you, this is how you build the kingdom. And I know I sit with brothers and sisters right now here in this place who would agree with that. They have been brought through some pretty amazing journeys, sometimes journeys that I cannot even identify with because they, they've been really, really tough. But through it all, you have been faithful. Through it all, you've been good. And through it all, you had a purpose. And so, Father, help us to learn from our past so that we can grow in our future, be stronger, and ready to give you more, fit, more trust through whatever you bring us our, our way. Thank you that you give us these wonderful examples in Hebrews 11 and that to risk our faith means incredible growth in the future. Thank you for their example. 
and for our trials. May we grow through each one and not waste one. In Jesus' name, amen.